Proverbs 6 and 29. We're going to look at Proverbs, two passages that are somewhat the same, especially one part of it. We're going to form a principle out of those two Proverbs and then apply it to another passage in 2 Chronicles. And we're going to look at cause and effect. So when I read these two Proverbs, in your mind thinking, What's the cause and what's the effect? First one is Proverbs 6 and verse 12 through 15, particularly verse 15. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Ready? Therefore... Calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. That's the phrase I want you to remember. Broken beyond healing. Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He who is often reproved yet stiffen his ne- stiffens his neck. Remember what the other one said? In a moment. Suddenly, will suddenly be, there's our phrase again, broken beyond healing. King James, New King James says, without remedy. It's a medical term. That means you've got a sickness, a disease, and there's no cure for it. There's no treatment. It's about your health and obviously not physical, your spiritual health. So in our passages, the first part is the cause. It's the worthless man and all the wickedness he does. And it it lays out all of those in a row. And it says, therefore, see the effect? If you live this way and you are this way, here's the effect. Proverbs 29.1 says the same relationship. The cause is If you are often reproved, if you are rebuked, you are told over and over and over again. Do you remember your mom or your dad used to say to you, how many times do I have to tell you? Remember that? Yes, too often, right? Or my mom would say to me when she was serious, I'm not going to tell you again. In other words, she'd already told me that numerous times and I hadn't done anything about it. That's the kind of the idea, but on a more serious level. If you're often reproved, you are corrected, you are admonished over and over again. And instead of hearing it, receiving it, humbling yourself, changing, you stiffen your neck. Now, um, I'll get to that in a minute. And, and then that's going to lead to when you stiffen your neck and become stubborn about it then when you're not ready for it, at a moment, suddenly, it's going to catch you off guard, it's going to completely surprise you, and you're going to be destroyed. I mean, it's going to ruin your life, and there won't be any ability whatsoever to recover. And the idea is something that was so broken that you can't put the pieces back together. It's proverbially Humpty Dumpty. You remember? Fell on, you know, fell off the wall. And all the king's horses, all the kings couldn't put, you can't put it back together, Right? So what are some things in life, it could be anything at all on, in the physical, material world, name me some cause and effect. You don't study 
you're going to get, you're not going to pass, right? What's another cause and effect? You don't put gas in your tank, you're going to, you're going to break down, you're going to run out of gas on the side of the road. Yes, that's a Bible one, right? You don't work, you, no, you shouldn't eat, you're not going to be able to eat, you're not going to be able to pay your bills, provide. What else? Cause and effect. You don't get enough sleep, you're going to... What happens when you don't get enough sleep? Grumpy, irritable, come on. You're a real person, right? All those things happen. Tell me about, someone tell me in a sentence, what is the butterfly effect? Anybody know what that is? Ever heard of it? What's the butterfly effect? They say that a butterfly, when it moves its wings stirs up a little air, and they have this whole thing about how it stirs this, and it moves this, and it affects this, to the butterfly effect, this butterfly, and it says this massive things are happening down the row. In other words, the butterfly moves its wings, and this happens, this, and this chain of events down the road to this huge event, but it all started with a butterfly moving its wings. This is the theory. But the principle is, what? Cause and effect. That even the smallest little causes can eventually have very large effects. See, look at the verse. It says, often reproved. Does you get reproved by your parents or someone reproves you and tells you about things that you're doing wrong and says, you know, you need to really change this. And you don't pay a lot of mind to it the first time. And, and time passes and nothing changes. You don't get in trouble. There's no major issues. What? But what's the word? Often. And the next time, and the next time, and the next time. But it says, eventually the butterfly effect happens, doesn't it? And then the biggest effects take place, and the consequences are, are devastating. And the Bible says the effect is, the effect is suddenly broken beyond healing. If you want to turn there, you can. It's only a few pages over. Jeremiah chapter 8 is a passage, and I, and I want to read a couple of them. Because you know Jeremiah chronicles, we're going to go to Second Chronicles, but it tells the history of how Jerusalem fell in 586 to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And you kind of see the event and think it happened in just one short snippet of time. It really wasn't like that. A lot of things, the butterfly, a lot of things happened previous to bring us to that point. And Jeremiah, in numerous chapters, specifically 39 and 52, writes about all the things that took place leading up to that major, major tragedy. But here are some of the verses. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 19. Am I got that right? Yep. Okay. No, that's not it. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. Here we go. Uh, 19. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people... From the length and breadth of the land, is the Lord not in Zion? Is their king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images and with their foreign idols? Remember that because I'm going to make a point that when you're stiff-necked, almost always in the Bible it refers to idolatry. Okay? But here's what he says. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Here's a song, old one, Mike might not. 
Is there no bomb in Gilead? Yep. Is there no physician there? Here's the medical part. When then, why then is the health of the daughter of my people not been, and this is our phrase, not been restored? It's the same Hebrew word for broken beyond healing. Why is it that they are broken and they can't be restored? Because they had gone so far into their idolatry that God chooses not to work anymore in their life to bring them back. See, that to me is a scary place. There's another one. Just turn over Jeremiah 30 just to get this into your heart. Verses 15 through 17. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Watch what he, how he describes it. Your pain is incurable. There is no treatment. There is no remedy Because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant, I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, all your foes, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make prey. For I will restore your health to you, and your wounds I will heal you. See, God says, after I punish you, because right now you can't be restored, he says, but I will eventually give you your health back. I will bring you back. There is no treatment for it, he says. The only times in the Old Testament that the phrase stiff-necked is used is mainly in Exodus, and actually chapters 32, 33, and 34, and every time it talks about God's people being a stiff-necked people, it's in reference to even the ones using the prophets are looking back to this event, and constantly, and you're going to see it, here's what the Bible says, don't be stiff-necked like your forefathers. And everybody looks back to the event, where they made the golden calf. And God was giving them commandments. They couldn't wait for Moses to come back. Aaron had the people bring all their stuff. They melted it together. They made the golden calf. And God says, let me destroy them all, Moses. And I'll make you a better people. Because I've seen them, he says. They are a stiff-necked people. And it almost always refers to idolatry. Things in their life that they have made equal to or better than God substitutes Uh, substitute deities in their life that they have erected and made by their own hands to bring them the satisfaction and joy that they feel they cannot get from God. And he says there comes a place in even God's people's lives where there is no cure, there is no treatment. We would say today, with this term, we would say they're terminal. And And it's a sad thing, and you may have talked to people, and I have in the hospital, and I remember saying, you know, people, they get cancer, and... They always ask, well, how far is it? And if they say stage four or stage five, then you know that there is not much they're going to do. Hopefully they're going to say, well, we we caught it early, stage one or stage two or something, where there's still treatment and therapy, or not therapy, but you you can have all the things done, and, and, and that might eradicate it. It might go into remission. They might get it all. I talked to Kathy Cray on the phone today. She wishes she could be here. But she had it in her lymph nodes, and they had surgery, and they said they had it all. I mean, what an amazing thing. But they said they caught it early. But you would say this. Today we would say, well, if there's no remedy, it's over. Um, We might say it's not going to happen. You're not going to get any better. There's a book that I read. It's a Christian book. 
Um, it's a biography of Dave Dravecki. Dave Dravecki was a Major League Baseball player, pitcher, left-handed for the Giants. And he got cancer in his throwing arm. And so, on a, in a national game televised, actually, he threw a pitch and he didn't know he had cancer. It just broke his arm right on, on that pitch. So they gave him treatment, they worked at it, and he wrote a book called uh, Comeback. And so he made a comeback. And he got treatment therapy. It went into remission. He, you know, strengthened his arm again and came back and was doing well for a while. And didn't know it, but he got the cancer back in the same arm. A almost identical thing happened. And he broke his arm so severely from the cancer that they had to amputate it and to save his life. And he wrote a second book, and it was this, When You Can't Come Back. Because it came to the place in his life he realized there wasn't any remedy. There wasn't any treatment. They weren't going to be able to give him radiation or chemotherapy or any of those things because he wasn't able to come back. And God says, here's the principle. See, there comes a place in your life where God talks to you and, and, and works in your life. And he says, and I'm trying to admonish you, get you back to where you... But there comes a place where we'd say, you know, God, even God draws the line. And says there's a place where you can't come back from it. You can't, I, you can't put the pieces back together in your life. And, and we all know that's true in all kinds of areas in our life, no? I mean, isn't there a place where, and I've counseled people, and people have been betrayed and cheated on by their spouse, and they said, I, I just can't do this. I can't do it. I can't put the pieces back together. They try for maybe months or years. They can't do it financially. People sometimes just have to declare bankruptcy. They cannot get it back together. They can't. Businesses close their doors. They have a going out of business sale. They're going out, it's a sale, but it's going out of business because even this sale is not going to make enough revenue to keep the doors open. And, and, and relationally, I, I can't keep this friendship going. It's too te- it's, I can't handle it. And, and you could go on and on, can't you? in all kinds of different areas of your life. And there comes a place where those things happen. Now, that's the principle, the cause and effect. God wants to show you what it looks like in real life. And the same wording is used in 2 Chronicles, if you'll turn back there. 2 Chronicles 36. Some Bible scholar here tonight, tell me what's unique about 2 Chronicles. I'll give you a hint. How is 2 Chronicles unique in the Tanakh that's not true in our Bible? In the Jewish Bible, how is 2 Chronicles different than the American English Bible? Yes. Our last book in the English version of the Old Testament is what? Malachi. If you read a Jewish Bible, the way all the books are arranged, 2 Chronicles would be the last book of the Old Testament. And the last chapter of the last book would be the chapter we're going to look at. So this is the last thing that happened historically in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant. So keep that in mind. And we read this text, 2 Chronicles 36, verse 11. Zedekiah, whose name means in Hebrew righteousness, and he was anything but that, so it was only a name, 
was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. What was the evil coming from? What was the root of it? He didn't humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, which I told you who was contemporary with Nebuchadnezzar. Who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar. He had an authority issue between he couldn't handle God's authority, he couldn't handle secular authority that God put over him, who made him swear by God. He's, now watch, remember what I told you our principle was? If you stiffen your neck, sudden destruction without remedy. What did he do? Well, he stiffened his neck. And parallelism, hardened his heart, same thing. Against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. And watch. See, he has a sickness. He has a disease spiritually. And it's called rebellion. He doesn't want to listen to people when they tell him things. He doesn't want to listen to God, about Nebuchadnezzar, about Israel, about anything. Now, I tell you this. This disease is contagious because it's going to spread. It doesn't just stay on the throne. Watch what happens. All the officers of the priests and the people, likewise, they were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nation. See, he stiffened his neck because the problem is idolatry. That's what it means to follow the abominations, along with the sexual immorality that goes with it. And they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord God of their fathers sent. See the cause? Verses 11 through 15, this is the cause. This is what's going to get him in big trouble. He stiffened his neck. But what does God do in response? Well, the Lord God of his fathers, see, of his fathers, the ones that rebelled. God knows Israel and how they've been. From beginning to end of their history, they've been a stiff-necked people. He, He sent persistently to them. And it's interesting, if you're taking notes, that this term is translated, rise up early. Okay? So let me give you two in medical terms. He's got a serious cancer, and so does the whole nation, and God wants to remedy it. He, he wants to catch it early. And so here it says he sent consistently. Hebrew means, and God rose up early. In other words, he wanted to cut it off before it became so severe that nothing could be done. So how does God do that? Well, he writes these prescriptions. He writes scripts because God's the doctor. And he says, let me tell you, I'm the only one that can cure this kind of cancer. I'm the only one that can turn you around and change your heart. So he says he sends messengers. And in a moment, he's going to tell us those messengers are in particular Jeremiah and the prophets. And there was other, Zephaniah was another prophet he sent. And here's what God does. Listen to this. He had compassion on his people. He has compassion on them. Draw a line from the, in your text if you have a pen, solar pen. And I want to show you the opposite because we're going to jump down real quick. Verse 17. Then he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans and who killed their men with the sword and the house of their sanctuary and circle it because here's the complete opposite. God had compassion. Nebuchadnezzar had no compassion. Do you see it? You know what that's worth noting? Because here's what people think compassion is, that I don't really talk, talk to you about your problems. They don't really preach on those things. 
that no one really confronts you about your issues. Can I tell you, that's not compassion. How does God's compassion describe? He consistently, persistently, rising up early, calling prophets. And by the way, prophets are people who tell you how it is, even if you don't like it. You know how I know that? Go back and read Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah presented on a scroll that God had him write and gave it to Zedekiah and said, here's what God's going to do to you if you don't listen to him. You know what Zedekiah did? He started reading it in in the fourth column, this specific. It said he took a, a knife, cut it up, and then threw it in the fireplace. He didn't want to hear any of that. See, see, but God kept sending him stuff. He kept writing for script. Here's what you need to take. You want to get this cancer? You better take this medicine. Nope, throw that in the trash. Throw that, burn it out. And every time the doctor gave him something, it's kind of like men, isn't it? Do guys have a problem? Any guys have, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'm macho, right? I'm about dying in the bed, but I don't need to go. I don't need to go to the doctor. I don't need medication, right? But this is Zedekiah. And he says, I don't need any of those things. And God says, oh, you are terribly wrong. But here's compassion. Constantly going after someone, telling them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, and telling them over and over again until they get it. Now, you say, well, how long do they do that? Let me give you a little clue. The Bible says, he took them, verse 20, into exile in Babylon, those who escaped the sword, and they became servants, and keeps going on about, until, most of it says, down in verse 21, all the days it laid desolate and kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. They had not kept the Sabbath. Every seventh year, it had to be a year of of Sabbath. You had to let the land rest every seven years. They had not done that for 70 different Sabbaths. You know how many years that is? 490 years. I told you this is not just an event that happened in this time. God said, for all those 490 years, when you kept Sabbath, broke this one, this one, this one, this one, 70 times over almost five centuries, God said, I sent you this prophet, I sent you this message, take this medicine, do this, do this, do this, do this. He said, no, 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 no. And God says, enough. Enough, God says. He had compassion, verse 15, on his people and on his dwelling place. What happened? But they kept on mocking. You know what it means to make light of? Ah, isn't that bad? I know we have a few idols on the side. They mocked him. They mocked the messengers of God. Remember Jesus tells the parable that the landowner sends his servants and they mock him, and they mock him, and they, they beat him, and they send him back to him. And then he sends his own son. And what do they do to his son? Oh, they kill him. They kill him. See, God says, I keep sending you stuff. I keep telling you. See that book? See that message? See that person in your life, that sermon? See that? I keep talking to you, and you keep ignoring me. You're mocking. You're making light of all the things. I'm telling you how serious it is, and you don't buy it, he says despising, oh, despising means to treat it as nothing. It's beneath you. Despising his words as if they're of no value. Scoffing, see all the participles? It's a continual thing. Mocking, despising, 
scoffing, making fun of them. And the word means to make a joke out of it. And then I circled it because it's the most arresting word in the text. Circle it. It says, until. See it? Four times. Four times. Verse 16 twice. Verse 20 and verse 21. Until. Until what? Until the the wrath of the Lord rose against his people. And it means something that gets up and ascends up. In other words, it's like every time they mocked God's wrath, got a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's almost like there's a wall, like a dam or something. And 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 eventually, the wrath of God piled up so high, it it finally just flooded over, and they can't stop it. And that's exactly what happened. And they couldn't stop Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, they mocked God, and they put idols in the temple. And you know what God does with the temple? He has it burned down. And he breaks the walls of Jerusalem in pieces. And all the things they mocked, he just tore them all down. He devastated them until the wrath rose against the people. And, and then it says in the text, see, until there was no remedy. There, you can't go back. I mean, there's even a place where if you finally thought you got your act together and God says, and you came to me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, too late. I may forgive you, but I can't, I'm not stopping the consequences of it. There's no remedy, he says. You have to go back to read Jeremiah 39 52. You know what happened to Zedekiah? You know what no remedy means? Let me tell you how stark the, the, the consequences are. It says that, in the middle of the siege, by the way, when you siege someone, and, and Jeremiah 52 says they sieged them. So Nebuchadnezzar comes up to Jerusalem and the city and sieges it. In other words, they put all their encampments about it, for, and they were there for 18 months. So every month, every day when you get up, you're going to see this massive army outside, and they're not going anywhere. Now, they have all the food they want because they take everything from everybody else in the country. But if you don't have, eventually... 18 months, they have food stored in Jerusalem, and, and, and eventually they can, but it gets, the Bible says they got so starved, they didn't have anything. So what happened is, is they made a hole in the wall, and at nighttime, they tried to escape and get away. Zedekiah himself does that, and they catch him in the plains going to Jericho. So they catch him and everybody in his family, and it says that eventually Nebuchadnezzar comes, and he takes them, and he takes all of his sons, stands him in front of Zedekiah and makes him watch as he one by one kills every one of his sons in front of him. And then it says when he was done humiliating him by killing all of his sons, where he had to watch everything, it says then he took his eyes and plucked them out. So the last thing he ever saw in this life was his own children being murdered by his enemy. And then the Bible says they took him back to Babylon and he was in prison until the day of his death. No remedy. You know why? Because he wouldn't listen. God spoke to him and spoke to him and sent messengers and messengers and messengers. And notice verses 17 and 18. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men in the house of their sanctuary. See, they didn't honor God in the temple, so he killed his family and their families in the temple. No compassion. And it didn't matter whether you were a young person, an old person, a virgin, a woman. It didn't matter. He killed everybody he could. 
Out of all the thousands of people, only 4,000 people survived. So that means he probably killed about 30,000 people. And watch this now. Circle it. He gave them all, first time, into his hand. Verse 18. All the vessels, small and great. All the treasures. See? All, all, all. They lost it all. That's what no remedy means. He lost his position. He lost the city. He lost his family. He lost his sons. He lost his sight. He lost his freedom. Why? Because there was no remedy for that. He wouldn't listen to God. He was beyond restoration. See, God says, here's the principle, cause and effect. It happens in your life. So in your life, you don't read your Bible, you don't pray. Cause, this is how you raise your children. You tell them this is what's priority, this is what matters, this is important. Do you understand that it may not be impacting you today or them today, but every cause will have an effect. And what you live out or don't live out, and what matters to you, what doesn't matter to you, it may not happen today. 490 years is a long time. But it comes. And when it comes, God says, oh, suddenly. And when you're not ready for it, guess what? The Babylonians are surrounding your home outside of your city. And it's only a matter of time because now you can't reverse it. You can't change it. You can't get them away from your steps. They're on your door, and they've invaded your house, and there is no changing it. May we hear that warning. May we heed God's warning and say, listen to him early. That's how vital God's wisdom is for us. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to remember that principle and then see the picture of it and the devastation it caused Zedekiah and Israel God, I pray that there might be some here tonight, perhaps, who, God, you keep coming to them with the treatment, the cure, the prescription, but they don't listen. Father, I pray that you'd wake them up, stir them up, before you have to shake them up. Father, help us to heed that warning and the wisdom that you give that we might miss all those horrible consequences in our lives. Help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.